Welcome. Kind of a packed house today. This is great. I'm excited to see everyone here. I was told that last week was kind of amazing. That it was a really, uh, it was a fantastic time, very awe-inspiring. Um, and I'm sorry I missed it. Last week, I was running a 5K. And uh, I know what you're thinking. You're looking at me, and you're like, but Mike, you must run 5Ks like four or five times a week. But actually, that wasn't supposed to be that funny. Uh, but actually, the answer to that is no, I don't run that many 5Ks. Uh, in fact, this was the first 5K that I'd run in over a year. Um, but I knew it was coming. In fact, um, my girlfriend Meredith signed us up for it like three months before we were to run it. So I knew well in advance that I was going to be running this 5K. And right when she told me about it, I had some plans for this 5K. I had plans, number one, to beat her. That was pretty much the only plan. That's really all I wanted to do with this 5K was to beat her. Now, I knew that to beat her, I was actually going to have to train because she's like a runner. She does like the marathons. She does those races. And I just don't. However, I do some things to stay in shape. I play hockey. When I golf, I try to walk the course as opposed to taking the cart. I play some tennis. I go for walks. Those count, right? And if I wanted to run that 5K, the goal in most 5Ks is just to finish. For, you know, that's like the first goal. Well, my goals exceeded that. I wanted to do more than that. Not only did I want to beat her, I possibly wanted to set a world record for men in my age group. I thought that was a legitimate goal. So what I would have needed to do is, would be to start training right away. And I didn't start training right away. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, there was like eight weeks to go. I'm like, okay, if I start training then. And that didn't happen. Then it was like, well, there's still six weeks. And then there was still four weeks. And then there was still two weeks. And that last week and a half, I started bragging to people, yeah, I'm not training at all. And I'm still going to do really well in this race. And I did well in the race. I certainly didn't beat Meredith by, by any stretch of the imagination, but I finished the race, and that was the goal. Now, what were the consequences of that? Well, mile one was good. Mile one was really good. A 5K is a little over three miles. Mile one was good. It was like, I don't know, maybe a little over eight minutes that I ran it in, and it was good. And I was thinking, this is not so bad. And then mile two. Mile, mile two and I just did not get along. And mile two was hard. And that was, I don't know, anywhere in that 10, 10 and a half minute range. And then mile three. And mile three was just a jerk. Mile three, like, jumped on my back and, like, hugged me as, like, a 300-pound bear and said, yeah, you should have trained, idiot. And it was hard. And not only was there that, and I actually sprinted the end, which was good, and I paid for that later. But then right away afterwards, we, you know, we went back, and we got ready, and we came back, and it was actually the 5K. It was the milk run at the state fair. And so then we went back to the state fair, and all afternoon, I kept saying to myself, I should have trained because I was sore. My muscles, my quads, and my hamstrings, and my glutes, and every single muscle you use when you run was sore. And it made me a little sore as well and a little crabby. And I was at that point just absolutely thankful that the state fair is really flat. <laughs> and there are not many times when you have to go upstairs or downstairs, which is actually worse than going upstairs. I was very thankful of that. But the first goal in running that 5K, the first goal that obviously everybody has, probably the easiest goal is just to finish. 
And I did that. I did finish that 5K. Not necessarily did I hit all the goals I was hoping for, but I did finish. We're starting a new sermon series this week called Living Inside the Margins. And this series relates a lot to what happened with me in that 5K. The margins that we're talking about here is is space. And it's space that you create in your life for various reasons. Now, here is the line. Here is what I did to prepare for that 5K. I didn't do anything. I just maintained is what I thought I needed to do. And I needed to just maintain what I was doing, meaning playing the hockey, walking golf courses, playing some tennis, that kind of thing, not, you know, gaining a lot of weight, maybe a little, but not a lot of weight, so that I could run this race. And that's what I needed to do. Here was my line. Now, if I would have wanted to, if I would have maybe run once a week, I would have created a little bit of space for myself. I would have created a little bit of a margin where then not only would I have been able to meet that need of finishing the race, I maybe would have done it with a little bit more ease. Maybe it would have been a little bit easier on my body. Maybe it wouldn't have made me sore for the next three days. Those kind of things. Maybe once a week. If I would have run maybe two or three times a week, then maybe there's a little bit more margin. Then maybe it creates a little bit more space where I can run that race, and not only do I finish and then I'm not sore, maybe I even get a pretty good time. Maybe four or five times a week. Maybe five or six times a week. And I could go on and on, however hard I wanted to train. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't. And I didn't create any margin in my life for that race. I did exactly what I needed. And I was lucky that I did not have to go up and knock on a door in the middle of that race and ask somebody to drive me to the finish line. Because there were some times when I thought about it. In fact, I started looking for homes where the garage door was open so I knew someone was home. Because if you know you pass out, you kind of want it to be near a house where people are home to come out and pick you up and take you to the finish line. I thought about that. I wish I hadn't thought about that, but I thought about that a couple times. But I didn't create any margin. I didn't train. And this series is about creating that margin. All I needed to do to finish the race was to maintain where I was at. And I did finish. I did meet that goal. But creating margin in life is what makes things a little bit easier is what makes life a little bit healthier for us, whether that's physically or mentally, emotionally, intellectually. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about rest. We're going to be talking about the margin of Sabbath. Now, if you are anything like me, when I think of the word Sabbath, my mind immediately goes to another S word, Sunday. And growing up, if you would have told me, what are you going to do on the Sabbath, or when do you take your Sabbath, I immediately would, started, I would have started to describe my Sunday. Number one, I had to wake up and go to Sunday school. Or if we were going to early church, go to church first and then go to Sunday school. Then, after Sunday school, after church, it's the possibility that we might be going out to eat for lunch. Maybe McDonald's, maybe if we were lucky, Godfathers. My mom's in the audience, by the way. Mom, remember Godfathers? Exactly. Those were good days. And then, right after lunch, if it was in the fall, that meant football. It meant watching the Vikings. And depending on the year, it meant watching them win or watching them lose. 
And then if it was in the summer, it probably meant mowing the lawn or doing some yard work. In the last maybe 10 years of my life, it meant maybe going golfing. If it was anywhere during the school year, it meant homework and getting ready for the week. Maybe it meant doing some laundry. Maybe it meant, for me, maybe correcting some papers, going in, getting things organized so I didn't have to do that Monday morning. But that's what Sunday meant for me. If you said, what are you doing on your Sabbath? I would have said, well, I'm going to church. I'm going out to eat. And then maybe after going out to eat, watching the Vikings, maybe after the Vikings, I have to mow the lawn. That's what Sabbath meant to me. And I know this might come as a shock and a surprise, but that's not exactly what God had in mind when he asked us to observe the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. And this morning, I want to talk about the Sabbath, and I want to look at it in two terms, kind of in two different ways. The first is I want to take a look at really what God intended with the Sabbath, what he actually meant by making sure to keep the Sabbath holy. Then I want to ask the question, do we really need the Sabbath? Because the first question is kind of corporate, but the second, meaning everybody can kind of think about that one as a group. What does it mean? You can kind of think on that. But the second question, do we really need the Sabbath anymore? That's kind of a personal question. That's a question that you need to ask and you need to answer yourself. And we'll definitely get there. Because Sabbath is kind of an important thing to God. And I think we maybe have lost a little bit of that importance and a little bit of that priority that God placed on it. We might have kind of lost that today. But we'll get there in a second. First thing I want to do is I want to talk about the Sabbath. What was, first and foremost, what was the Sabbath all about? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to go all the way back to when the first Sabbath happened. And it was when God created it. So this is in Genesis 2. So if you have your Bible with you today, you can turn to Genesis 2. Or you can just look at it up here on the screen. And we are actually going to start in verse 1. Now, Genesis 1 was all about creation. God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything, created man, created the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that kind of good stuff. And then we have the end of creating. And we have chapter 2, which is kind of an important end to that week. So starting in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I want to look at two aspects of that passage. Now, I think... When most people look at that, and to be honest with you, this is how I would look at it right away, the first word that I really focus on is rest. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So then what I start doing in my mind is I start equating Sabbath and rest. The problem is, is that that word in that passage does not necessarily mean the same rest that I think it means. That word, rested, is less about sleep, which is how I see it, or napping, and it's more about just stopping work. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he stopped working from all his work. He ceased working. He had created everything, and he had stopped working. And the reason that I can know this without even doing like 
you know, a complete uh, study of the whatever Hebrew word that was supposed to be or that was. The reason I know it is because God doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need to rest as I see it because he's God. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He created everything, and he doesn't need to take a break from resting, or excuse me, a break from creating to be able to work back enough energy to do what? You know, he doesn't need that. So we need to look at that word rest a little bit differently. Instead of looking at it as sleep, so on the seventh day he slept after all his work, maybe what we need to do is look at it as he stopped working and he stepped back from his work. And he looked at what he had created. And he was happy. And he was satisfied. He liked what he had done. And the second part of that, that we need to really take focus on and make a look at, is that what he did with that day. He stepped back on that day and he took a look at it. And he was happy with it. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Then God blessed that seventh day. When something gets blessed today, when we look at things being blessed, we kind of throw that word around in different kind of terminology in different ways. When someone sneezes, we say, God bless you, or just bless you if we want to shorten it up. We also sing it in some of our songs, God bless America, God bless the USA. Once in a while, we might even, you know, when someone does something for us, instead of saying thank you, we might say, oh, bless you. And I'm not trying to take the word bless in those ways that we use it and make it seem less important or make it seem less um, strong. But when God blessed something, it was a big deal. God blessed the seventh day. There's a reason that we read that, and that's because God was saying, this day is special, and I'm blessing this day. And the second part of that, he made it holy. And the word holy, you could also read that, that he sanctified the day. He set that day apart. He said, here are the six days that I created, and now on the seventh day, I'm going to bless that day and make it holy. There is something uniquely special about that day. I'm going to bless it, and I'm going to make it holy. And that's important to kind of keep in mind when we think about the Sabbath. We need to kind of consider how God started the Sabbath before we can fully understand what that Sabbath day actually means. So, God blessed that seventh day. He made it holy. He was happy with what he had done. He stepped back from it, and he looked at what he had created. So that, seventh, that Sabbath day, for him, was a big deal. And he wanted us to be able to do some of that stepping back. Now, we have to go further in, uh, in the Old Testament. We have to go to the book of Exodus. All right, so just one book. But we need to go to Exodus now to get a more full picture of what that Sabbath day is supposed to mean for us or what God intended it to be. And Exodus 20 is where I want to go next. And I want to start in Exodus 20. Um, I'm going to start at verse 1, although I'm going to skip through some of it. And this is the Ten Commandments. Now, what you have to realize is that, or to kind of place this in context, the Israelites had just been extricated from Egypt. They had just been taken out of bondage by Pharaoh. You remember all the story? You know, I don't need to sing Pharaoh, Pharaoh, do I? So we know kind of where all that comes from. 
I mean, if you want to sing it in your head, that's just fine. Um, But they had just been delivered from Egypt. And God did that. Moses was his mouthpiece, but God did that. God brought them up out of Egypt. And now there was a Mount Sinai incident where Moses went up and he got the Ten Commandments and he's coming back down. And now he's sharing it with the people. So here we start in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. So this is Moses saying that this is literally what God spoke. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's commandment number two. Commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Commandment three, and now commandment four, which is the one we obviously want to kind of focus on. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So not only did God set it apart, he wants us to set it apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, there are a number of things in here in this fourth commandment that are important. And the first thing that I want to point out is that he went into depth, he being God, went into depth describing what to do on the Sabbath. And not only did he say not to work, he also said, and nobody else should work either. And the way I picture it is God thinking, thinking like, well, you know, I love my kids, but what they're going to start doing is they're going to start nitpicking at what I'm telling them to do. If I tell them to keep it holy and to not work on that day, I bet you some of my children are just going to delegate some of their work to their kids. So no, your kids can't work either. Okay, well, my kids can't work. Maybe I can have my manservant. No, no manservant or maidservant working. Well, the animals can work. No, no animal should work either. Nor the alien within your gate. So E.T. can't work either. (laughs) The idea behind this is that nobody works. Keep that day holy. Now, the implication there is that you rest. Notice it doesn't say anything about sleep. And there was a Hebrew word for sleep. I don't know what it is, but there was one. And it doesn't say sleep. It says rest. So now we need to think back to how God put it into play. And what he said was, keep that Sabbath day holy. Because on that day, he rested. He ceased from work. He stepped back to look at what he had done. And essentially what they're saying here is that everybody, you, your manservant, your maidservant, your kids, your animals, the alien in your gates, all that kind of stuff, you all also need to step back and look at what's been created for you. You need to keep that day holy. Stop working and take one day for me to remember what's been done. And that being the creation. Step back and look at what's been created. Now, this wasn't the only time that the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites. Based on their behavior at time, the Ten Commandments should probably have come out once a week. But they do come out again in Scripture a couple passages later. So what we're going to do now is we're going to skip ahead to Deuteronomy. 
And we're going to skip ahead to Deuteronomy 5. Now, a lot has happened within the Israelite community. They've had wars. They've had years of wandering. They've had issues. They've gotten water from the rock. They've watched that happen twice. One time was good. One time for Moses wasn't so good. All this stuff had happened within that community. And all along, these laws have been there. The Ten Commandments have been there. So now we get to Deuteronomy, and they're given again. So we're going to skip ahead. We're going to skip to verse 12. And this is the start of that Sabbath day commandment. Again, fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. To that point, it's kind of similar, but then it changes a little bit. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, the change is noteworthy. There was something that was added in there. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with the mighty hand and the outstretched arm. That is significant because in the first passage where we were, where we were reading about observing the Sabbath, it was really about creation. Now, and about how God created for us, now it's about how God saved us. And us, we're kind of thinking like Israelites here. God created this world for us, and now we're supposed to remember that God saved us from Egypt. So there are two reasons for the Sabbath that we're looking at. So it's a stepping back and observing all of creation, what's been created for us, and God's saying, this is the day that you're supposed to do that. Sanctify it. Keep it separate. Then the second part is, and remember that I saved you and brought you up out of Egypt. So the idea of having a Sabbath is not just a day that we take a nap in the afternoon in the second half when the Vikings are losing. That's not what the Sabbath was about. The Sabbath was about a rest, of course, but also a reflect. It was about thinking what God has done for us in two different ways. Number one, God created for us, created an earth for us. Number two, God saved us. And that's important to remember. It's important to remember to rest and to take a break from what we do and then to reflect on these things that God has done for us in our life. And to bring it into, you know, current day, that's still the case. We still need to step back and we still need to remember what God has done for us, that God still provides us with this creation, that God still provides us with family and with friends, and that God saves us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so on that Sabbath, it's not just about taking a break from working. It's about resting, but it's about reflecting on all this. So if that is the intent with Sabbath, now there's a second question. Do we really need the Sabbath anymore? And while the first question that I asked was more corporate, it's good for us to understand the implications of why the Sabbath was created and also to think about how the Sabbath might look to us. It's also important to start thinking about why I need the Sabbath. 
we are in a busy, busy world. And by busy, I don't necessarily always mean busy as in we are always doing things. I mean busy as in we always have lots of things that we could do. Throughout the course of a week, most of us are going to work. Throughout the course of the week, most of us are probably going to do some things outside of work. If you have kids, that's like a second and third full-time job. I only had one laugh. That was from Rob. But you also have other things. How many of you have kids that you go watch their sports? How many of you are kids and go to your sports? How many of you go to school and have to study? How many of you go to any kinds of meetings during the week, in the evenings? There are things in our lives. It's not that we don't have the time to rest and reflect. Sometimes it's just that we have too many things going on. I think sometimes we just forget that God wants us to do this. And God knows that it's good for us in our life to stop, to rest, and to reflect on what he has done for us. Now, in the last 15 years, 16 years that I've been teaching, Sunday afternoons, at least during the school year, have meant something to me, and they've meant getting caught up on the work that I didn't do the previous week and the work that I need to get done before the next week happens. When I was a first and second year teacher, I would spend five, six hours at school on Sunday. Right after the Vikings were played, I'd go to work, I'd go to school, and I would just sit there and work. It was peaceful. There was nobody around. All the other teachers had gotten their work done the previous week. And so I just, I kind of absorbed that time. I would love to say that I communed with God during this as well, but that wasn't the truth. I communed with correcting papers and writing lesson plans and fixing computers and figuring things out that I wanted to do. And as I think about what God really wanted for the Sabbath, I don't think that was it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I shouldn't have done those things. And that's kind of an interesting rub. When you think about whether or not you need the Sabbath, I think what you need to not do is start thinking about all those things you do on Sunday and start saying, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, or I'm not doing that. What you need to start doing and what I need to start doing is trusting that if God tells me to do something, observe the Sabbath, that he will find a way to make sure all those other things get done as well. When the Israelites were given this command, they were completely dependent on God. They had to trust God because they were up against armies that were bigger and more experienced. They were up against the fact that at times they had no water. They were up against the fact that they had no ability to get food. And they had to trust that God would do this. And God provided, either whether it was water from the rock or manna and quail, or sending in a very few amount of Israelites to fight an army of Amorites, Amalekites, or whateverites, that they would face them and they would overcome them if they listened to God. If they trusted God, they would be successful. And amidst all that busyness in their lives, God said, observe the Sabbath. God said, stop, rest, reflect on what I've done for you, reflect on the fact that I saved you. And I would think I would add another thing. Trust me. 
the manna kept coming. And one of the interesting things about the manna is that every time the Israelites tried to save up manna, does anybody know what would happen to that manna? It would get maggots in it. It would go bad fast. Because God didn't want them thinking that they could rely on themselves. He wanted them totally dependent and reliant upon him. And I don't think the message is any different today. If you don't think that you need the Sabbath, and trust me in my life, I've had many days where I did not think I needed the Sabbath. If you don't think you need it, I I think what you're telling God is, I got this. I can do everything I want to do. I can get it all done. If I need to work on Sunday, I'm going to work on Sunday. Sometimes people have jobs on Sunday. Well, what do you do there? What I don't think you do is quit your job. What I do think you do is you find your time for Sabbath. You find that time to rest. And you find that time to reflect. The Sabbath was important to God. And it's got to be important to us. Our sermon series is on living inside the margins. And the margin of Sabbath is important. Do you take no time for Sabbath? Do we need the Sabbath? Maybe some people would say no. We don't necessarily need it. And they don't always say it out loud, but they might say it with how they live. I certainly did. And when you don't take time for the Sabbath and you create no margin in your life for that, when things don't go as well as you want them to, what happens? A good analogy to this is sleep. Sleep is very important to me in my health. I looked at lots of statistics this this week that talked about sleep and how much sleep you need. And the Sleep Foundation, uh, apparently there is a foundation for sleep. i got to join that because I bet they get lots of Sabbath. But the Sleep Foundation says that it varies from person to person. You know, we are all kind of made differently, and some people need different amounts of sleep than others. And, but the, very, the fact is that they say, you do need a certain amount of sleep. And if you don't get that sleep on a regular basis, your body will start to fight against you and against your brain. And it will start telling you things, like you need more sleep. And it does that in interesting ways, like making you crabby. It does that through interesting ways, like giving you headaches. Everybody needs sleep, and maybe that amount is kind of different. But if all you ever get, if you know the minimum amount of sleep you need is five hours of sleep per night, and all you get is five hours every night, you're creating no margin for there to be issues. If all you get is your minimum amount every night, all of a sudden there's a Friday night that happens, and something happens in your family, there's an emergency, and you have to be there all night, that Saturday is going to be hard for you. Getting more sleep provides a little bit of margin a little bit of just-in-case space. And that Sabbath is what that's all about. It's creating that space that trusts God, and it's creating all the way up to the point where you can say, if something happens, I'm going to be okay. But every time we decide that we don't really need the Sabbath, we're telling God, I got this. It's okay. I know you tell me to take the Sabbath, but I got it covered. I need to work. I got it covered, I need to do this. I got it covered, I need to do that. And if that's the case, I just pray that you figure out where that Sabbath is for you. And you take that time, and you rest in God. You reflect on the things that he's done for you, the creation, the salvation, and trust him that by creating that Sabbath in your life, 
all those other things will get done as well. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we come before you regularly and we are in awe of what you've done for us and are amazed at the things and the people in our life that you provide to help us through. Thank you for the Sabbath. Thank you for that example of how to live our life, that for six days we can work, but on that seventh day we need we need to focus on you. We need to rest and reflect. And Lord, life is hard and busy. And we just say thank you for that directive that wherever we find that Sabbath, that we can trust that you will help us to get all those other things done and that it'll make us refreshed, that it'll help us to focus on you. Thank you, Lord, for all the people that are here today. Thank you for their hearts and their minds, and we just ask, Lord, that you give us a good day and give us a chance to rest and reflect and to focus on you and what you've done for us. Pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.